But I've, I have a TikTok <laughs> yeah. that's gotten 150 million views. That's bigger than anything I will ever do. This is The Playbook. Man, this boy has grown up in front of my eyes. Josh Peck, he is an actor, voiceover guy, but now he's entered the Dave Meltzer realm. He's a social media superstar, YouTuber. Obviously, the world has changed. Welcome to The Playbook, Josh. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for having me. You know, I was so excited to meet with you because I've been around a lot of child uh, superstars like yourself, mm. and you've had a great influence on my kids, on my staff. They all have their stories. My kids were begging for a jacuzzi in their bedroom. I never knew why. Sure. Um, thank you, by the way. Uh, but more importantly, you know, it's difficult to reinvent yourself when you're too successful at a young age. Mm. And I think this is true as an entrepreneur. You, you know, you're seen as a certain way, and that can contribute to a lot of emptiness. Um, a lot of imposter syndrome, things that happen to entrepreneurs and actors when they're hugely successful at a young age because everybody, you're growing and everyone just sees, you know, if you're Ron Howard, you know, they see Opie. Sure. And meanwhile, or Henry Winkler's uh, on our show, you know, they see the Fonz and you can't get away from that. Do you see that the transition from traditional media, which you're a superstar at, into the social media realm assisted in re-engineering people's branding or self-perception of you? I think naturally you kind of have to make your peace with this idea that people marry themselves to you to the first image they fall in love with. And you can't choose what becomes part of the zeitgeist, like what triggers people's minds to hopefully fall in love with you, which is a great sort of honor. And, and where would we be without it? I say in my book, you can't pick your hits. That's why Billy Joel won't do Uptown Girl anymore. Right. Like, because, you know, it's to someone who created it, I can imagine night after night, you're like, oh, enough already. But to the people, they're like, oh, this this brings up all the memories I had at that time when I was watching you on, for me, Drake and Josh. So in some ways I had to make my peace with it. And then in other ways I had to double down on what I knew was within my control, which was that I loved creating, I've loved acting since as far back as I can remember. And now I'm able to just do that in different forms, be it on Instagram, YouTube, and TV and movies. It doesn't really matter the outlet. I'm, I'm able to adapt to whatever format and I think that's what's aided me in allowing me to stay relevant at a time where it, it would have been easy to just sort of fade away. It's so interesting that we're born with an energetic or genetic frequency, an inheritance that's quantum in our nature. Mm. And very few of us at a young age are able to act upon, no pun intended, their innate quantum memory or their innate quantum uh, feelings. Mm. And when I meet uh, certain athletes that started playing golf at four or certain young actors that had not only this innate feeling, but it aligned with their skills and their knowledge as well. Um, and cause not everyone can act. You know, mm. I remember Brad Pitt sitting on Letterman and Letterman's like, Oh, you're just so lucky cause you're so good looking. You know, that's why you're a successful actor. And he looked at David Letterman and said, you know how many good looking people there are? You know, oh, I'm, I'm a great actor, right? And, and so are you, you're a great actor. You Thanks. have great skills and knowledge, but what do you do if you have this passion, but you don't have necessarily either the availability. So your parents are there at eight years old going, 
no, you're going to be a doctor, a lawyer, or a failure. This acting thing isn't for you. Sure. But you knew it was. Or two, you have this feeling like me when I was young, I want to be a professional football player, mm. but I don't have the skills or knowledge. My potential was an average division three college football player. Okay. But which was fine. My parents, you know, at least semi supported it. Division three, baby. Right, exactly. We love it. But what do kids do that have either the innate feeling and no availability mm. or they have the innate feeling and not that much talent? Uh, well, I think it's hard to disseminate at that age. I mean, I, I had a very specific sort of set of circumstance. I was, you know, nine years old. I, I say in my book, like funny people are usually funny for very unfunny reasons. Like That's I was- That's a great statement. Thank you. Like I was this only child, single mom. We were, we dealt with a lot of financial insecurity. I was overweight. So for me, I felt like I walked into a room at a disadvantage because I assume people made a snap judgment about me for being overweight that I was- You're poor and overweight. Yeah. And, and that's not easy as a nine-year-old. Totally. Yeah. And it, uh, you know, in many situations you can fake good. You can present a different sort of exterior than what's going on inside. But when you're overweight, you can't do that. You can't hide it. And so I developed this ability in which to sort of take over a room and be funny. And I had learned it from my mom, but I honed it myself because I knew that otherwise I would constantly be playing catch up. And so that, along with the fact that my mom and I were like this scrappy startup instead of a traditional family, when I got an opportunity to move out to California and star in a TV show, we were able to make that leap because we knew that we weren't uprooting both parents' jobs and a bunch of other siblings, right? It was just her and I, we could give it a chance. And, and my mom always says, she's like, I didn't know you'd be successful. I knew it gave you confidence and that you felt good about yourself. And it wasn't coming in the form of Little League, let's be honest. Right. So I when I saw that you were good at this thing and you got a lot of great feedback, I wanted to support you and, and I would have done it had it been academics or an instrument or what have you. Or baseball. Or baseball, was, right. you yeah. know, I played one I, year. It wasn't great. <laughs> I was more into it for the uh, orange slices and Capri Sun. Well, it's so resonating. With me. I grew up with six kids and a single mom. Mm. Um, and her way out for us was education. So mm. it was doctor, lawyer, failure. The fetus wasn't fully developed till after graduate school. Sure. Um, and I was the only one of the five siblings not to go to the Ivy Leagues and not to follow that direction because of the financial security, I just wanted to buy her house and a car. Wow. But it was interesting. You know, I, I, unfortunately, I was even abused as a nine-year-old, uh, which made me the funny guy because mm. uh, all the pain is I get choked up talking about it now. But I never, until you stated, you know, that feeling of financial insecurity, like the snapshot of walking in a room and thinking in my head, everybody knows I'm the poorest guy in the room. Right. And so I'd project through either humor or lying, <laughs> you know, who I was. Sure, uh, which I took did a me fair years. amount of lying, I think, too, probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah. just know. creating fantasy worlds. Yeah, exactly. Yes. So here you go, and you have pretty much instant success because by the time you're 10, you're on shows, you know, variety shows and, you know, big shows, and you are the star of Nickelodeon mm. as you're growing up. What are some of the unseen pressures? You know, I was a multimillionaire in my 20s, wow. and everybody wanted to be me. Right. And, sure. and I know you know what that feels like when all of your peers and friends and parents are like, oh, you know, you know, Josh. But there's this reality that you're still just a person with the same problems and, and challenges. How did you deal with that success with people's now higher expectation of you, a higher snapshot of you 
and you have to live at your own reality. Was there some depression or anxiety or, or any types of manifestations that you find now at 35? Well, I think the biggest part is that being on Nickelodeon at that time and, and when I was at sort of the apex of Drake and Josh, it was it's a bit of a misnomer that it was some gigantic hit because it really wasn't. Um, it, it's a testament to the show that it's only grown over the last 15 years. Plus, you know, there's no residuals in kids TV, so they rerun <laughs> it at nauseum. And um, that helps you, actually. Yeah. Shout out, shout out that's that uh, after contract. And um, <laughs> and I'm fine. I'm, I'm over it. Um, so, <laughs> there's the reality. So, you know, it's it's only gained steam. And I think it's so memeable and there's so many quotable lines that it's it's now generationally, you know, there have been three sets of like, you know, preteens to teenagers who've been able to embrace the show. So I would almost argue it's bigger now than it was when we were shooting it. Um, and I think like when we finished, the reality was, you know, we didn't make a, a, a big amount of money because there just wasn't that in kids TV. It wasn't like being on Modern Family or some huge network show. And there was certainly, um, while it was this wonderful experience doing my favorite kind of comedy and getting to be on a show that I dreamed of because, you know, it, kids television was sort of the holy grail at that time. But um, there was certainly a stigma that you had to overcome. You know, you were 19 now and people assumed that because you were cute or you had a little bit, you were sort of an anomaly to have that much sort of to be that precocious at that age. But now you were entering the realms of like real actors and it was a gigantic pool. And sometimes you almost had to overcome what producers thought of you because you were sort of that standard cookie cutter kid actor image. So I think that was challenging. And also, again, being overweight at that time, I was introducing myself to the world in a body that I wasn't comfortable in. And so over two years of Drake and Josh, I lost over 100 pounds. And while most people were incredible and couldn't have been more lovely and, and, and sort of encouraging, yeah. there were certainly people who felt like I had taken away from them someone they had fallen in love with. You know, mm. their favorite character who wasn't threatening to them because he was just big and funny and lovable and we love a big funny guy. And so I had to endure some some uh, comments and and some energies that I wasn't expecting, um, all in the effort to just feel more comfortable and, and and you know be able to play more roles. And you've done a great job in that transition and transformation because it's not easy. As I mentioned, some of my good friends have uh, faced very similar uh, things. Now, one of the ideas that I have that I think you exemplify is what I call the stage theory. Mm. And what happens today in the world of the influencer is that everyone thinks that YouTube or Instagram or TikTok is the holy grail. Uh -huh. And I try through my branding and marketing uh, experience over 35 years now to say, look, the best place you can be, in my opinion, is on TV. And, I, and I'll tell you why. Is I think that whether or not they watch you on TV the ability to capture yourself on a TV program, mm -hmm. a credible one, amplify it onto all of these other platforms, modify it correctly to those platforms and perpetuate it now in your own capacity on those platforms mm. has an exponential value than just being on TikTok. So if I go ahead and you know I star in my own TV show on, on uh, Amazon Prime or Apple or Bloomberg, 
I find that taking the content of me being on Bloomberg hmm. and then putting it on the social media has 10 to 100 times the impact than me just being on there. Same as a billboard or a newspaper. You know, I took an American Airlines feature they did on me, which was like a bucket list item. I was so proud of myself. But yes. then COVID hits, nobody's flying. So what do I do? I start making fun of myself and my ego saying, can you believe this? I thought this was the holy grail. Right. And nobody's even seeing it. But, but because I had a picture in the American Airlines magazine and it went on the social media now it had more power yes i see that with you that you have so much more credibility mm. on the social media platforms because you are a legitimate actor who has credibility in still traditional media which still gets millions and millions of people watching yeah it's a, it's an interesting dynamic i mean certainly movies and television because we're still sort of in the depths of traditional media and each new generation, I mean, you said you have an 11 year old, I, I have a three year old son. It's like to them, like, I don't know necessarily whether my three year old sees a distinction between, you know, Sesame Street, which is now on HBO crazy, you know, it was on PBS when yeah. we were kids, you know, Sesame Street or Blippi, who's his favorite, you know, YouTube star, who, by the way, sold his company for pretty sure like nine figures, you know, no big yeah. deal. I'm like, I think I picked the wrong profession <laughs> um, or I should have stuck with kids TV. Um, but inevitably, I think, you know, traditional TV and movies, what it does now is it's sort of like someone vouching for you. You know, it's like Goodfellas, right? He's a good fella, right? right. He's worthy. He's So people subconsciously make a note of the, to themselves when they see you in that respect and they go, oh, obviously if he's been able to sort of navigate the gatekeepers and the big fancy people in the big office buildings have decided he's worthy enough to be on their television shows, he must be of a certain value. But I I have a TikTok. <laughs> yeah that's gotten 150 million views. That's bigger than anything I will ever do. That touched more people than anything I will ever do unless like I somehow figure out a way to get in a rock video, you know? Yeah, so right, right. inevitably there is that balance and I'm interested to see where it takes us, you know, where we land in 10 years, if there will be like no disparity between the two, or if to your point, it'll always be one sort of is hand in hand with the other. Yeah, I think there will be a reconciliation as you suggest, just because of the way the content is merging. Mm -hmm. Even the traditional content is seen on streaming and on the network side of things. And, and the younger generation doesn't distinguish like your son and mine of what they're looking at. But the people with money still were born and raised on TV and movies. Right. So that credibility and value quantitatively, I think, in a marketing and branding aspect, mm. still holds more weight, that you'll get more dollars from that 150 million view uh, TikTok. Now, you bring up another great point, these micro audiences. Um, you know, I've been a speaker for a long time. I've written four books. Mm. And it's funny how you lose perspective. Right. I used to dream about having 20,000 people in an arena listening to me speak like Tony sure. Robbins. Right. And yeah. as my brand has grown, you know, I'll post a video and it'll get 40,000 views and everyone on my team is disappointed. And I still see like the value in the micro audience. Mm. It's how engaging and connected you are. Yeah. So there's some people that can post a video and get a million views and it means nothing. And others can get a hundred thousand and it will mean everything because they either have something else to give 
or there's a deeper connection. How do you feel about the new platforms? Because you didn't monetize the children's TV side of it. <laughs> sure. To be able to monetize an extraordinary reach with an extraordinary talent. Have you thought about that vehicle where you now can monetize that audience that is specifically, you know, Josh Peck TV? Yeah, it's, um, I basically think of it as whenever I get a brand deal for something on Instagram or TikTok, it's paying for the last nine videos I made for free, right? So <laughs> it's, it's sustaining me to continue to create this content, which I love. And this idea that, you know, it allows me to, recently I, I just did this show for Disney Plus called Turner and Hooch. And I spent eight months in Vancouver with my my son and my wife and it was fabulous. Um, and, and for a show like that, I do it 10 times over. But you know, the life of an actor is someone who has to travel that much and go to Atlanta or New Orleans or wherever the tax incentive is at its highest at the time <laughs> and, and relocate their family and their whole life. And while I feel so lucky that if there was a project that really spoke to me, I could do that. I also know that I'm not completely at the mercy of the gatekeepers that I don't have to uproot my whole family because I have this sort of other income stream. So. You know, I, I embrace things like like the brand deals and the social media stuff because for me, I feel like, you know, Marshall McCullough has this great quote, like the medium is or the medium is the message. So basically, like if I'm creating for Instagram, it's no different than what I do for TV. I just make it specific to that platform. Correct. You modify it towards that. Yeah, like what's gonna resonate? And so I don't, I, I really try not to judge it. And I think to your point, I know plenty of people, like I have, I have, you know, a, a good amount of followers on, on Instagram and I'm pretty sure half of them are inactive. Right. And I can easily look at someone with one, 2 million followers. Who's just like the algorithm is, is firing at nonstop for them because their people are so engaged. Their followers are so behind them that brand recognition, that awareness. And I think that that is easily just as powerful as having a 10 X multiple, but having, you know, such a small percentage of active following. And I think, you know, moving forward as an actor, it's really interesting to be able to make the choice of being on a big movie on a set as people want to equally value mm. their family. And it's the first time, you know, I've dealt with actors and athletes, most of my career in the representation side, to be able to bring deals mm -hmm. that allow them to pursue what they want to pursue. Yes. Um, in that freedom. Um, for you, you're much healthier than you were. Yes. Um, and, you know, I want to finish up with your non-negotiable priorities because we touched on health, mm -hmm. we touched on family, we touched on activity you get paid for. You know, have you been able, you know, in your mid-30s now to ascertain a prioritization of your non-negotiables in life you have a clear set so that when someone offers you an opportunity that may not align with the non-negotiables mm. do you quickly prioritize because i find a lot of athletes and celebrities they haven't done the work mm. to have their priorities or their non-negotiables and therefore they end up drugs alcohol they end up overweight they end sure. up depressed the anxious frustrated or even you know just broke because they haven't really worked through that it seems to me that You've done some work to get clarity on your priorities and non-negotiables. Yeah, to your point, I mean, family and health is sort of always first and foremost, and it's mental health. And you know, I'm uh, I'm a sober guy from drugs and alcohol, and doing what I need to sort of maintain um, 
just just constant maintenance in that area because I, I I feel like you can't put the the cart before the horse. You know, it's like when when the oxygen masks drop on the plane, you have to put yours on before you can help anyone else. So I have to be conscious of that and making sure that I'm mentally and spiritually fit to be of service to my wife and my kid, and then inevitably my my employer. And I'm basically just looking at you know the only my brother. I have a big brother from the Big Brothers Foundation since I was eight oh, years that's old. Awesome. He's awesome. The best. Shout out Dan. <laughs> and Dan always says, like, the only thing we can't replenish in life is our time. You know, we can always make more money. We can always figure it out, but you'll never get more time. So now at 35, I look at an opportunity and I say, where am I being sort of um, rewarded for my time? Is it a financial reward? Because that can be valid sometimes. My kids got to go to preschool and my wife would, <laughs> wouldn't, you know, has gotten used to heat and air conditioning. Not everyone can go to PS40, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Shout out PS40, my alma mater. Uh, and, uh, so, you know, like sometimes that's reasonable because there's a financial incentive and it's worth time. And then other times it's worth my time because it is creatively stimulating. And I feel like I'm going to grow as a performer and I feel like I'm going to learn something at this point. Like if I feel like I can't learn something or get a little bit more security for my family so they're comfortable, I'm, I'm really not interested. Uh, one more lesson I'm sure Dan helped you through as you worked on the healthy side and I tell people all the time when you're healthy you get as many wishes a day as you want mm. if you're unhealthy you only have one wish yeah and I'm so happy to see how you've maintained a really healthy lifestyle and have great perspectives and values that there still are a lot of young people uh and now also 20 somethings and 30 somethings that still have that snapshot in their mind of you mm. and for you to be you know such a great role model uh, to these 150 million that are viewing you and a role model to all the new and old snapshots of Josh Peck certainly is a privilege and also a value to our uh, whole society because we need more people out there, especially on social media, that have the same values that you do. So I just want to commend you for that and congratulate you on all the success you're having as well as your future success.